you know, the official says like, face something. Um, and she, like, she starts crying. I almost started crying. Like it, it was incredible, man. Yeah. That's right, everyone. No stranger to breaking world records and currently the fastest man on a bike over four kilometers on the track, clocking a 359.93 last year. And just an overall awesome guy. Ashton Lambie joins us today on Bobby and Jens. Well, everyone, this is a first for me as I am coming in super hot after joining the Ride with Ashton Lambie Garmin Never Stop Cycling Tour, which just finished a few minutes ago. Ashton, hope you got toweled off and welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thanks for having me, man. I did. I'm a this is like the third time I've been soaked already this morning. Houston's a pretty damp place. Yeah, you kind of let us know uh, a little tidbit of information that uh, at the start of the ride that you were a little bit uh, gassed from your morning gym session. Yeah. What uh, would you get up to in the gym today? Um, today was, so I do it, I'm currently in the middle, like my gym program is a two-day split. And so the first day is kind of what I would call an anterior day. So built really around the squat and like single single leg press, that kind of thing. Um, and then the later this week, I'll do the posterior chain day. So like back extensions, deadlifts, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, today I went to the gym. I go to this awesome bodybuilding gym that's just down the street. And so I'm like the scrawniest dude there by a long shot, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, all the, all the squat racks were occupied. So I tried doing hack squat today. Because uh, they have a really nice leg press machine, and I've never, I've not done that, and man, it really lit me up. That was hard. Hey, Yenzi, did you ever do uh, weights when you were racing? And uh, not when I was racing or as a pro. Um, a lot as back in the old East German days, we did. Um, I had a leg press, I believe um 320 but both legs of course um and Ooh. the free did the free weight on your shoulders i think the max i did one rep with 165 kilograms um so and then you would do a max test and then you would go down and go okay i can do five with 150 i can do 10 with 130 and then you build up your blah blah blah, blah. so yeah i did it years and years ago but hey Ashton, give us like some numbers here. I'm sure our viewers are curious Dude, what weights are you pushing. 160 kilos is pretty I I have only ever done uh max max out in pounds, and I think I've hit 320. But I have not consistently done 160. That's a lot of weight for a squat, man. Damn. Well, we we trained for years and years, twice a week, you know, uh, like especially in the off season, uh, uh, three months day in day out so we we did put a lot of uh, uh yeah time into it but anyway yeah. back to you because you are our guest <laughs> i love hearing about all the east german weight training you did that's cool stuff man yeah jens jens was uh in that sports school and i always used to kid him you know they just kept him in cages and he was in cage 17 and zabo <laughs> was in cage 14 and 
all those guys. But um, Ashton, man, I tell you, your name popped up a few years ago on a training ride here in Greenville with my boys, Christian Vanneveld and, and George Hincappy, when you uh-huh. won the the 100 mile of the event that is now known as Unbound. I have to yeah. admit, I wasn't very into gravel at the time, but you know, when I saw your photo, I was, you know, kind of curious. And then all of a sudden you were breaking world records on the track. And I had to ask those same riding companions of mine, wait, is this the same guy that won, (laughs) you know, the event called Unbound now? And they Mm -hmm. were like, yeah, man. Um, But there's, before all of this, you know, I think with each one of us have, has a little bit individual kind of story, but before all of this, what got you on the bike in the first place? Um, I mean, I, so I started riding, uh, probably 2005 was when I, I found my dad's road bike hanging up on a wall in our garage and did my first century ride later that year. Um, and so for me, cycling has always kind of been about like finding the biggest possible goal. Um, and then just going for it, you know? So like when, when I got first got a road bike, it was like, Oh, well, what's, you know, like the longest race I can do, you know? Oh, well, let's go ride a hundred miles. And then it was like, I got really into ultra distance and the longest event that the discipline I did had, uh, was a 1200 K and I was like, Oh, well, let's do this 1200 K. Um, and then, you know, started doing gravel a little bit and then got into track from there. That is actually um, the thing that fascinates uh, me the most about you. You go yeah. from gravel where you basically ride for 20 hours at like 18 miles. You go to yeah. an event where you race at 60 plus kilometers an hour for only four minutes. How did you mix that? How is it actually humanly possible with the same body to go from that one extreme to the other extreme it, it blows me away is it just because you <sighs> it's a compliment you just a yeah, freak of nature thanks. you're a unique person or is it you train specifically for that it, it blows me away i have to say how do you decide oh i just raced for 20 hours now i want to race for four minutes where did that happen well i mean i think um When I was racing gravel in Kansas, uh, gravel was, I would say at like a little bit more entry level. Like there weren't quite, it was several years ago and there weren't quite the world tour status riders that are in it now. So like, I think gravel's really ramped up in a big way in the last three years. Um, but when I was racing gravel, even then, like I was still a pretty heavy, like pretty muscly guy. And I've just always kind of had that build. Um, And so I always kind of wondered in the back of my mind, like, oh, I wonder if there's some other sport I could, or some other aspect of cycling I could do that's like a little bit more power oriented, like it would suit my body type a little better. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, so I borrowed a buddy's bike, um, and then went to the grass track in Lawrence, Kansas. And like my first night on a track bike, basically I set a few track records, won every event, um, and just had a ton of fun doing it. And I was like, Oh, this, this could be something I really like doing this. And I mean, the other fact was that like, you could go farther in it, you know, it was, 
at that point, gravel was really, if you wanted to do the best gravel race you could, it was the un, like Unbound 200. That was the premier gravel race. Um, and so it was kind of also looking at the, at the track and being like, oh, well, there's, you know, Olympic opportunities here. There's UCI World Championships here. Like, um, you know, there's a, a little bit of an ability to go farther than like just winning some local races. And so I think that was kind of what appealed to me, too. And what do you have to change in your diet from going to an event, a long event where you're basically oxidizing fat as fuel compared to a sub four minute uh, pursuit where it's full on glucose, full on sugar? Like, well, yeah, I actually, I probably eat more protein during track season and more carbs during like gravel season or base season. And that's just kind of, honestly, I don't really track my diet that much. Um, I just try to eat as much as I can most of the time. Like, I feel like the times I've done, what I've done is like taken a three day food diary where I like literally track every single thing I eat for three days. Even if it's like, Oh, I walk past the cabinet and get a handful of chocolate chips. Like I will write that down. Um, and then I'll, I'll look at that and then kind of extrapolate from that and be like, okay, well, my protein intake is lower than the desired amount. So I'm not going to track it going forward, but I'll make a conscious effort to like try to eat more protein. And the two things that come up every time are that I'm low on protein and I'm just low on total calories. And so it's really just like try to try to eat some beef jerky as much as I can, you know, whenever I have an opportunity. I am so jealous on you. That sounds like the correct diet for me. It is not a world tour diet, and I'm very aware of that. <laughs> I, I tell you, Jens, every time he came to America, and the first thing that he bought, and then the last thing he bought before he got on the plane was beef jerky. Like, if Ooh, it was like yeah. in the little, you know, uh, mini bar thing, yep. you know, he, he'd just be mowing that down. It's one of my favorite things, too. I love beef jerky, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, hey, listen, I kind of want to frame this a little bit better because I don't want to totally jump into your, you know, world record sub four minute thing quite yet. But mm -hmm. like, you know, you're not a stranger to breaking world records. And most of the time, those come in like track events, like the Pan Am Games, like the World Championships, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, doing a little bit of research, because I, I will admit I'm not the most uh, schooled in the world of track cycling, but I saw Reasonable. that already in 2018, <laughs> you set the individual pursuit record at 407. And then mm -hmm. in 2019, in September, in Bolivia, you lowered it to 405, yep. 423. And then, like... In what was it, 2020, you are at the World Championships and and you're beaten by Filippo Ghana. Tell Set us a little bit. record on that ride, yeah. And, and he lowered the world record there. So yeah. what is your relationship with Filippo? I mean, obviously, um, he beat you in 2020. You beat him back in 2021. And in between that period, you did this four-minute thing. 
But yeah, tell us a little bit about that that rivalry. I mean, there's got to be something, and maybe he is the guy that gets you up in the morning and and forces you to to concentrate a little bit more, train a little harder. But um, yeah, what is it like? Is it is it a rivalry? Is it a friendship? Is it a you know you know you guys talk? Don't talk? What is it? Um, we chat occasionally, like I'll just, you know, message him on Insta every once in a while. Or like, if I post something funny, he messages me, but I wouldn't, I would not say it's a rivalry. I think it's really tempting and everybody wants to paint it as a rivalry. Um, but I feel like it's kind of both of us competing against the clock, if that makes sense. Like it's, it is a direct competition, but it's also like, we're all just doing it to compete against ourselves and against the clock. At least that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, and I, man, I just respect the hell out of him as a writer. Like, I think, you know, what he's done is, is incredible, you know, on and off the track. I mean, he's multi-time TT world champ and, you know, multiple grand tour stages. Like he's, he's got a lot of stuff other than, you know, uh, an individual pursuit world record and rainbows on the track, you know. Curious uh, to know um, about uh, the track. I mean, you seem. Uh, I, I come back to you doing the gravel and all that. Why do you think you're good at uh, at the track as well? Is it your head goes okay? I do this. I forget everything else. Are you just a super talent? You have the best bike, the best skin suit, or what is it that you can come from a 200 mile race? flying across the ocean to Berlin, be second at the World Championships or the year after you win it. Well, what, what do you think is your specialty? What, what is your ability or your quality to, to switch it? Well, I mean, it does take time to switch it. And I think like gravel hasn't really been my big focus in probably the last two or three years. Um, I think it was something like I, I competed in and did because it was fun. Um, but it would be like... I would do a hundred, I would do a hundred K gravel race instead of maybe a 200 miler or something. So, um, for example, like the rift, I went and did a gravel race in Iceland the month before the world record in August. So I was there in July and it was like, you know, everyone was like, Oh wow. I can't believe you were doing this gravel race, you know, a month before your world record. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I did go do that, but The day before I did that, I was doing my prescribed one minute efforts, you know, in the pissing rain in Iceland. And like, we got access to a gym there. And so like, I was in the gym, um, doing all the training that was specifically for the world record. And so, um, I think it's, it's a little bit of one or the other, but I feel like my ability to kind of just look at the problem, um, and really be able to focus on like just pedaling my bike and not having to worry about all the uncontrollable variables of like, Oh, well, what's the weather like? And um, how's everyone else going to ride? And what's the course like, like all that stuff is so like all the variables are pretty controllable in track. And I think I do really well with that. Well, now I'm super interested to hear about the idea. So we, we know that, um, Roger Bannister was your inspiration for your assault on breaking that four-minute barrier uh, on the track, just like he did back in May 6, 1954, um, running. But mm -hmm. so, so that was August 18th that you did that. 
of 2021. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How much specific prep did you have to do? Because, you know, I understood that you went into like full Rocky four mode to prepare yourself for this four minute attempt and, you know, staying in a ranch and, you know, lifting weights and just, you know, out in a barn and all that stuff. What, what was it that just, you said, instead of going like high tech, I'm just going to take it down to brass tacks and still got the job done. Well, I think part of that is just uh, what our lives were doing um, at that time. And like the ranch in Montana was a great spot. I'm also, I, it was kind of, so I raced Hong Kong World Cup earlier that year. Um, and that was a little bit of a proof of concept of like, okay, I'm going to do this incredibly low volume um, interval training. Like I basically had one long ride of the, of the, a week and the rest of it was like these very specific, very controlled intervals. And so a big key to that was like, if, if you do say like, you know, a set of flying kilos on the track, right? Like those probably take about a minute. Um, but for one of those efforts, you might spend 45 seconds in threshold, just rolling around the top of the track, winding that gear up. And that's just like wasted time. You know, you're not getting, you're not racing in threshold. You don't need to be in threshold when you're doing that workout. Like you're just faffing around. And so that was kind of the training I did where I just did everything on the, the turbo, my tax. Um, I have a track adapter so I can run my track bike on there. And basically decided like, okay, well, I don't need a track. Um, we had bought this, this camper trailer. And so that was kind of like our project over last summer was to restore that all, you know, whenever we had time. Um, and my partner, Christina, her family had a, has a ranch in Montana. And it's like, it's so beautiful up there. Um, and they were awesome. Like it was just, and we had some gym stuff that we brought up and, um, like we were both kind of in between, you know, post post Olympics, um, but weren't quite sure what we were doing next aside from, uh, you know, cycling or what that was going to look like for us. And so Montana just ended up being a really good spot to, to make it all happen, I guess. Well, you know, that Rocky four reference just makes me like visualize what you were doing. You know, when Rocky was out there post holing through the snow with like the big log on his shoulder and yeah. Drago was like in the lab, basically doing all this stuff. It's kind of, it kind of like is parallel to how you pre prepped for your races and a guy like Ghana, you know, Ghana obviously has a huge team behind him and a big budget and, you know, fancy and, you know, everything. And I just, I just really liked, you know, hearing that story of how you prepared for that. Yeah. There was one point when I was like, I'd gotten, uh, you know, the wheels from zip and some new tubulars from Victoria. And I was like, I'd set up a clean room in the back of, uh, Christina's dad's name is Bill. So it was in the back of his barn where we had also done all the woodworking to like rebuild the trailer. And so it was like, I'm setting up a clean room to be able to like drill or like glue these tubulars properly. And I was like, man, I wonder if anyone else has to like glue tubulars in a barn. Like this is non-traditional, but it totally worked. 
it is actually a pretty fascinating to see. So then from that barn, how much time did you give yourself to get back to the track and um, do riding on the track only? How long was the transition period from out of the barn until you at the start line and the gun goes off? Um, I mean, I was down in Mexico for probably two weeks just to mostly to get acclimated because um, that was a big part of it too. It was just like the uh, acclimation to the altitude, but, um, but yeah, probably two weeks of track sessions, not, okay. not a ton. And then even for world championships a month later, like I didn't have any time on the track between the record and world championships. Well, like now we got to talk about that day because You know, World you and I were, uh, no, first, first let's, let's talk about the, the, uh, the attempt to break the four minutes, um, okay. on that day, um, I was, you know, I, I saw you out in Tibet, Colorado a few weeks ago at the wild horse gravel event, which is part of the outside event cycling series. And you were sporting that t-shirt that said sub four minute club. And I joke, jokingly just asked you. Uh, what did you make one of those? And, and obviously you're the only one that can actually wear it, although it's an awesome shirt. So I hope you make more of them because I know you'll sell a lot of them, but you know, that moment before the, you know, when we were having, you know, the barbecue, which was a fantastic barbecue and, and, a and a couple IPAs, um, you mentioned that right before your event, uh, a UCI official who will go unnamed because he's a friend of ours, um, came up to you and kind of rattled you a little bit. And I was, I was in awe when you told this story. And that was the moment that I said, I need to get him on our podcast. Tell us about that day, because I mean, anything can go wrong, right? I mean, you just, you did it 359.93. So if you would have done 40001, that shirt would have just been for nothing, right? But on that day, I mean, there's so many variables that go into it. And tell us how it all worked out and maybe even give us a little information on, on what that UCI official said to you. Um, well, so that UCI official was actually only there for world championships. Um, it's different from the, the world record. Which one? So oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, that's I got okay. That okay. But like, um, yeah, just tell us, tell us about, you know, that, that four minutes or that sub four minute period. Like what was that, that day like? That day was tough. Um, so I don't know if you know this part of the story, but part of it was that I tried to do the attempt the day before um, and rode a 402. And so, I mean, I was like, I was absolutely shattered uh after that 402 like that was a brutal brutal ride um there were a few mistakes i made and having chris there to like talk me off the ledge and kind of just like keep me you know out of my own head um be like okay that happened here's like you're lucky there's some really easy apparent things we can fix um so let's get you out of here let's get you some food um having you know i'm just like i'm functioning on two brain cells after that 402 and so having her there to like talk me out of it totally made the next day possible like 
it was just having having her there was huge um and so yeah we showed up so part of what went wrong the first day was that like i just got to the track and stayed there all day basically until two so like i rolled in uh about i don't know 10 did openers uh ate lunch there and just stayed at the track all day and we decided that wasn't very good so like the day of i got up earlier we went to the track did openers came back just kind of chilled out for a little bit um and then went back to the track and the the plans the three things to focus on the cheat we had talked about and she kind of noticed on the uh, compared to the first ride were to uh fix the start gate which we did um in the morning so the start gate was for track individual events you start with like a a big metal gate that kind of holds you and then you push off of that and they move out the track um so we we practiced the start gate we got a little straighter uh and then really focused on pacing for the first two and a half k so that's something i have a tendency to do and i think most pursuiters do or you kind of overcome it where like you get that momentum from the start and you're feeling really good at the beginning and you go way too hot. And then by the last lap, you're like over a second off pace. And it is riding that way is excruciating. <laughs> um, it is substantial, substantially harder than just riding to pace the whole way. And so that was the other thing was like, okay, just ride the first two and a half K on schedule. And if you do that, we'll call that a win. And then the last thing is just to focus on the black line. Like I wasn't riding a very good line. Um, and so really being able to focus on that and kind of use that as almost a mantra of just like every lap, you can kind of bring your attention back to that, that really easy line of just something to focus on. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where like I finished and there was a thumbs up from the official. We didn't know what that meant. Um, and if you watch the video, you can hear her, you know, the official says like, face something. Um, and she, like, she starts crying. I almost started crying. Like it's, it was incredible, man. Yeah. So between the day where you did the four zero two and the actual sub four minute, you didn't change anything on the bike. You kept the same gear, the same tire pressure, the same skin suit, yeah. just yep. a few little bits and pieces you changed and, uh, they made a difference when during the ride when did you know i'm gonna break the four minutes only after I, you finished only or after somewhat, i had no idea oh, really? okay yeah okay no idea um i mean you can kind of calculate that stuff but like we're talking tenths of a second you know mm -hmm. uh yeah i just i had no idea until uh until after the ride even until i stopped you know because people were chilling Or people were like cheering and I was like, okay, well, that could mean like it's over. That could mean I broke the, the world record, but didn't get sub four. That could mean sub four. Like, you know, it could be a lot of different things. So if you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine, exclusive membership content from Bellinews.com access all the premium content from the whole outside family including yoga journal backpacker ski outside magazine and many others and that's not all there are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events access to gaia gps 
and trail forks as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you will receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Ashton. Well, I mean, the question is now, just like Roger Bannister breaking it, and then almost immediately, multiple runners were able to do it. It was like breaking through a mental barrier more than a physical barrier. I mean, how fast can you go? I mean, are there going to be people going faster than this? I mean, can people get under 359? I mean, we've seen just in the last couple of years, you know, your first world record in, in 2018 was a 407 and now it's a 359. You know, do you see this exponentially getting lower and lower, just like in the team pursuit where back in the day, the team pursuit was, you know, if you could break four minutes, you were, you guys were moving now, like that's barely, you know, even in the metal qualifying rounds, you know, they're going, yeah. you know, 343 ish or something like that from memory. But yeah, I how, think how, how much lower can it go? I think it can go lower. I think what we'll see for a little bit is probably we'll see like just consistently more guys hitting under that 405 mark. I think right now I'd have to check, but I want to say there's fewer than three guys that have gone sub 405. But if you look at like the world's results from, from this last year, you know, like you have to be, below 4410 like you have to be pushing what the world record was three years ago to make it into rounds just to be in like the top eight and that's insane you know what i mean um so i think what we'll see is like just more people hitting under 410 where it'll just be okay if you even want to go to worlds you have to be able to just wake up in the morning any day of the week and bang out a, a 410 um and then we'll start seeing that with with 405 and i think i think it'll i mean i hope someone breaks it because i think it's super exciting um i don't know how long it'll take for someone to go you know 358 i think it would take a lot of conditions you know um there's so many different variables to make that time happen and yeah it's really tough to make all that line up on it on it do you think, Ashton, you could break it one more time or you can actually go as fast again? I mean, that already would be quite the achievement if you could repeat that performance. You think you can do that or you go, no, that was just the one perfect moment in my entire life. I will never be able to do that again. What do you think about that? I don't know if I could. I do know that I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> good answer <laughs> yeah. i like that i'm okay with it i did it uh i feel like i did about everything i could and everything i want to do on the track and i do know that there's other stuff i want to do in cycling that i'm super excited about well now now i gotta ask because i i want you to tell that story um so august 18th you do the sub four minute and then in october uh, yeah. In Roubaix, France, of all things, down at, at sea level, 
you go to the world championships. I mean, the pressure, I mean, obviously you were the favorite, but like a lot of the times the pressure is, is, is a lot, you know, especially when you're on the track and, um, you know, you wind up winning there and, and Ghana didn't even make it into the gold medal round because of a poor qualifying time. How did you deal with, with that? Having the expectation, the pressure of being the first person to go for a minute and then going back to sea level and doing a totally different race. Um, I mean, I don't know that I was necessarily the favorite at worlds. I think most people, a lot of people thought like the altitude thing was just kind of a fluke and they were like, Oh, well, this guy only went sub four because he went to altitude. Like he's still not really that good. Um, and so, I mean, for me, again, like Christina kind of talked me into a better headspace for this, where it was like, Hey, look, you know, haters are going to say what they want, but like, you're still the first guy and you will always be the first guy to go sub four. And, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting you to back this up and, you know, you just peaked for this huge event and now you're expected to go race world championships a month later. Like no one's expecting anything, but you can just go there and like, just do the best ride you can. Like just focus on the execution, focus on the process. And then whatever happens, happens. And so that was really the attitude I took in there of just like, okay, I feel like I've learned a lot. I've got, um, you know, I had, I did a lot more enjoyable training in between the record and world championships. Like I did a lot more long rides and like some Zwift racing, like some more fun stuff. Um, and less of like, you know, the one minute high busting intervals. And yeah, I think that, that really paid off pretty well. So uh, when you talk, you, uh, you said you do a little more enjoyable training. You still kept your routine at the gym. And, and how often would you go to the gym in preparing for an e event? Of Obviously not the days before or the week before, but leading into it. How often would you go to the gym? Two times, three times, four times a week? Um, it would depend. I was usually in the gym a bare minimum twice, uh, sometimes as much as four. I think for um, for the record, it was three three days a week. And then once we switched over to training for world champs, it was uh, two. Well, <clears throat> it does seem like the the track riders are, are spending a lot more time in the gym than they used to, or at least it's it's more covered. But you made a change that... I've asked you and obviously got it wrong, but you did something different to your bike that was brought to your attention before the world championships, uh, the world championship ride. What exactly was that? Because I built it up so much now. We got, we got to give it to our listeners. Yeah. Well, and the best part is that I didn't actually make a change. Um, the UCI changed their interpretation of the rules and didn't tell anyone. My bike that I showed up in Roubaix with had not changed at all since Berlin, basically, Berlin 2020. But they decided that there was some tape that was on the base bar that they decided was not legal anymore. Like, when did they inform you of that? Like, five minutes before the start. We butted heads with the UCI quite a few times, um, where, admittedly, this was our perspective, and it felt like 
we were trying to do all this crazy stuff on a pretty small budget and they didn't like that because we weren't like your typical classy European team. It's like, oh no, we just bought a Dremel and like we hacked this together. And they're like, well, okay. Like, you know, we butted heads with them a lot because they're like, well, technically you're not breaking the rules, but we're going to change them so you guys can't do this next time. And it's like, okay, well, your guys' sole job is just to write the rules. Like, just do a better job of writing the rules and don't punish us. Like, just, just have a little bit of introspection. And so what happened was like five minutes before the start, this UCI official came up and was like looking at my bike and I was like, okay, here we go. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey, you got this stuff on your bike. Like, we're going to have to take it off. And I was like, that's fine. Okay. And so... It would have been fine. I mean, I was a little peeved, but you know, what do you do? And he came over after the race and was like, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, like the way you handled that was really classy. And like, I really appreciate you being cool about it. You know, most riders would have let that rattle them a little bit. And I'm like, I, I can say all this on the pod. A hundred percent, man. Let it rip. I mean, I just ripped into this guy. I was like, you know what, man? Yeah, of course I'm not at all rattled by this because like, your only job, this is the only reason I'm not rattled is because I expect you guys to not be able to do your job. Like your sole job is to write the rules and communicate them effectively to the writers. And I don't think you can do that. It's like my options are either let you do whatever you want or uh, not start. And so like, yeah, of course, I'm just going to let you walk all over and change the rules however you want. And I'm not surprised because that's how you operate. Like, you can't do the one thing your organization exists to do so badly that we just expect you guys to blow it. And that's the only reason I'm not surprised. <laughs> and this guy was like, well, I mean, yeah, okay, I do understand. I mean, I was probably like a little bit post-race, you know, kind of hyped up on caffeine kind of thing. And to be fair, this guy was like a very accomplished, well-known cyclist me just not as someone who follows road very much. Like I didn't know who this guy was. And our coach, Gary Sutton was watching this whole thing, just like flabbergasted. He was like, you good, mate? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't think I'm going to put that tape back on, but I think we're all good. So yeah, that was the story. That's, that's pretty much it. The tape is not on the base bars anymore. And I don't know if uh, they fixed the rules. I sure hope so. That's I'm pretty livid about it. That's a wild story, and probably Bobby and me would have some similar experiences over the years, I guess. Um, so, we recently, we saw Ellen van Dijk setting a new world hour record. Of course, yeah. we, have, we had to come to this subject with you, of all of our guests. Is that ever crossing your mind to try that? Um, I mean... You know, Victor Campanat's 55.08. That is freaking fast for an hour. So Wait. did you ever consider that? And if, would you go back to Mexico for that? I would go back to Mexico and I have considered it. And it is not something I am, I have on the calendar or that I'm really itching to do right now. Uh, wow. Yes. What is what is right now? What sort of definition is that? Is right now finishing first uh, of January this or yeah. this season? Okay. Because um, if I'm allowed to ask, you're 32 years old, right? I'm 
31 right now. Okay. But I will be 32 at the end yeah. of this year. So you got a few more really good and strong years ahead of you, right? So you still have it in your mind. That sounds promising. That sounds really promising. And I actually can't I not wait. hold your breath. It's a pretty low priority for me. If like I, I wouldn't actively probably try to make it happen. It's not something I'm I'm very interested in doing. Well, what is it that you're interested in doing right now? I mean, you got so many things. You love these challenges. You say that, you know, you you find a, a goal and you go for it and then you move on to the next one. What what are in the plans for the for the summer, let alone maybe yeah. future Olympics and forward more more forward than that? Well, right now my big plan is to do the lifetime grand prix series um so that's something we've had our first race with seattle classic it was awesome um and so for me i mean it's kind of like i would say an off like kind of an easier year um where i'm not going into these with like really high expectations like i'm not a mountain biker i'm heavier than almost all the guys there and a lot of these races are a lot of climbing but I see it as something where this is like a grassroots alternative to a UCI, a traditional UCI World Cup calendar around gravel, which is something I really would prefer to support the like local grassroots. And there are people that will argue that Lifetime Grand Prix isn't local grassroots, but I like the fact that we're arguing about that and that Lifetime cares about that versus the UCI, which is very clearly not a grassroots organization. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm supporting and kind of helping build and be a part of this, this gravel, huge gravel calendar, um, this year. And it's a lot of different races. It's a lot of different places I've never been to. Um, and man, it is super fun. It's super fun to be in it with everyone. Um, and like see the sense of community around it and how much different people support it, what different people's opinions are about it. Um, And just being a part of like what the professional gravel scene in the U.S. looks like and how that grows sustainably, but still like gets people involved. I would have a question or two, like uh, kind of like outside of cycling. I noticed that you mentioned your partner, Christina, quite a lot. She yeah, got to be an important awesome, part of your team, right? So Yeah, she's huge. And um I mean, she's a, a cyclist or a former cyclist as well. You guys talk about gear reach and tire pressures as well, or you keep that uh, separated from like in the working hours during the day, we talk about it. But once we, whatever, set the fireplace off, we don't talk cycling anymore. H how do you organize that? Um, I mean, we both have like pretty flexible jobs, but yeah, she's so she's a former professional cyclist with, with track as well. Um, she was on the Olympic long team for uh, team pursuit for the women's team pursuit. And she's also like an incredible cyclocross racer, mass start racer. Um, man, she's like one of the hardest working people I know too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, we, we talk about stuff, you know, I would say most of the time and like try to keep each other inspired, but also not like burned out all the time. Yeah. We, we talk shop together quite a bit. I would say, you know, like if I have a, a training plan, um, that I'm thinking about doing, uh, you know, I'll run it faster and, and, you know, vice versa. Like we, we talk about that stuff and try to learn about each other's lives and being actively involved in that. It's pretty fun. 
That is so yeah, yeah, cool. I, I think I would be asking her more about, you know, being an astronaut or a potential astronaut and going to the moon rather than, than gear ratios and stuff like that. But, um, man, one last question for me, at least. If the individual pursuit goes back into the Olympics, is that a goal for you? Mm. Man, honestly, that's not something I've ever thought about. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have I have not thought about that at all, to be honest. Well, I hope it comes back. It's one of the most exciting races. Um, like I said, I, I didn't get to watch many races, but like I remember going to the Junior World Championships and the individual pursuit and the team pursuit were two of my favorite things, and they still are to this day. So hopefully they'll... The old UCI or the whole Olympic Committee will bring that back and uh, give you that little fire in your belly to go and uh, compete for a gold medal. I hope so. That would be it. Would be a project for sure. Yeah. Um, just a little question to finish this off on an easy note, because Bobby asked the smart questions. I'm the one for the easy for the easy questions. The mustache. Does it stay on for life? And how did you ever decide to have a mustache? Do you like the style? You think the airflow is better when you breathe out? Or what is it with the mustache? Yeah, I've had the mustache for like 10 years now. I feel like at this point, it's kind of got its own thing going on. Um, and I feel like I almost have to keep it. Uh, I will, yeah, I will probably keep it. I feel like it's just a style thing. I don't love the way it feels i don't hate it i don't uh it looks good i feel like i would look like a child without it i think i would look ridiculous there you go from the man himself you know the og of the stash well ashton thank you so much for your time today it was a blast riding with you on your on your zwift garmin ride um all the best to you and your partner I understand Thank you. she's got a lot of work to do, a lot of studying to do. And um, yeah, man, interesting times. Find those goals, achieve those goals, reset those goals, and keep going. You and Yen should grow mustaches too. Well, after the uh, after we push stop here, I'll send you a picture of my, um, my attempt. I think you may laugh at it. It was uh, a couple years ago. Not my best look, but... Uh, I, I did not shave for an entire month. And then instead of shaving it off all at once, I shaved it off in like increments, you know, yes. goatee, then, you know, the stash. Um, so I'll, I'll send you a couple of pictures that you'll have a lot laugh at. But Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah, please. Again, Ashton, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with your future endeavors. You bet. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Ashton for being our guest. And if you enjoyed this chat, why not check out fellow track gods Anna Mears, Michael Morkoff, or Roger Kluge. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Valley News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.